Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm your host, Nathaniel Jolly. Uh, This week, we're going to do something a little bit differently. We're going to be doing a reading of B.B. Warfield's Women Speaking in the Church. Obviously, this is a problem that we still deal with today. It is ever-increasing with the feminist movement. Um, Whole denominations, in fact, have given themselves over to the idea of women pastors and preachers. And so it's a good reminder sometimes to look back at um, the men who contributed to the Christian faith and see how they interpreted the text and find that they interpret it the same way uh, as we do now. Uh, we understand that the office of pastor, elder, is limited to that of men and men alone. And uh, this is just a very short work from B.B. Warfield on women speaking in the church, written well over 70 years ago. It's very brief, but I think it does speak very clearly to the issues, and it does so from Scripture. Uh, Just like everything else we believe in the Christian faith, we want to derive our conclusions from the Word of God, not just from our opinion, certainly not from what the world tells us it should be, which is what has gotten much of the church in trouble in the West today, listening to the wor- the world rather than the word. So this little work uh, doesn't deal with every aspect of the women's issues in our day, um, but it certainly does give a firm foundation uh, to be able to properly approach the subject uh, you don't have to agree with everything that you know Warfield concludes. He certainly does take a few things a little further than I believe the text takes them. Um, but uh, overall, I think it's very accurate. And at the very least, it will force you to face these issues um, with your Bible in your hand while dealing with the Word of God itself. It's not our own opinions that matter. It's what the Word of God says that matters. And if we love God, then we love His Word. And if we love His Word, then we want to obey His Word. And the only way to obey His Word is to know His Word. And so, let's uh, begin with our reading of B.B. Warfield's Women Speaking in the Church. I've recently received a letter from a valued friend asking me to send him a discussion of the Greek words laleo and lego in such passages as 1 Corinthians 14, 33-39, with special reference to the question, Does the 34th verse forbid all women everywhere to speak or preach publicly in Christian churches? The matter is of universal interest, and I take the liberty of communicating my reply to the readers of the Presbyterian. October 30th, 1919. It requires to be said at once that there is no problem with the reference of the relations of Laleo and Lego, apart from the niceties of mere philological interest. These words stand related to one another just as the English words speak and say do. That is to say, Laleo expresses the act of talking while Lego refers to what is said. Wherever, then, the fact of speaking, without reference to the content of what is said, is to be indicated, laleo is used and must be used, 
There is nothing disparaging in the imitation of the word any more than there is in our word talk. Although, of course, it can on occasion be used despairingly, as our word talk can also, as when some of the newspapers intimate that the Senate is given over to mere talk. This disparaging application of laleo, however, never occurs in the New Testament, although the word is used very frequently. The word is in its right place in 1 Corinthians 14.33, therefore, and necessarily bears there its simple and natural meaning. If we needed anything to fix its meaning, however, it would be supplied by its frequent use in the preceding part of the chapter, where it refers not only to speaking with tongues, which was a divine manifestation and unintelligible only because of the limitations of the hearers, but also to the prophetic speech, which is directly declared to be edification, exhortation, and comforting. Verse 3 through 6. It would be supplied more pungently, however, by its contrasting term here, let them be silent. Verse 34. Here we have laleo directly defined for us, let the women keep silent, for it is not permitted to them to speak. Keep silent versus speak. These are the two opposites, and the one defines the other. It is important to observe now that the pivot on which the injunction of these verses turns, not the prohibition of speaking so much as the command of silence. That is the main injunction. The prohibition of speech is induced only to explain the meaning more fully. What Paul says in brief... Let the women keep silent in the churches. That surely is direct and specific enough for all needs. Then he adds by way of explanation, for it is not permitted for them to speak. It is not permitted, is an appeal to general law, valid apart from Paul's personal command, and looks back to the opening phrase, as in all the churches of the saints. He is only requiring the Corinthian women to conform to the general law of the churches, and that is the meaning of all the almost bitter words which he adds in verse 36, in which, reproaching them for the innovation of permitting women to speak in the churches, he reminds them that they are not the authors of the gospel, nor are they the sole possessors. Let them keep the law that binds the whole body of churches and not be seeking some new fangled way of their own. The intermediate verses only make it plain that precisely what the apostle is doing is forbidding women to speak at all in the church. His injunction of silence he pushes so far that he forbids them even to ask questions, and adds with special reference to that, but through that to the general matter, the crisp declaration that it is indecent, for that is the meaning of the word for a woman to speak in the church. It would be impossible for the Apostle Paul to speak more directly or more emphatically than he has done here. He requires women to be silent at the church meetings, for that is what in the churches means, for there were no buildings then. And he has not left us in doubt as to the nature of these church meetings. He has just described them in verses 26. They were of the general character of our prayer meetings. Note the words, let him be silent in the church in verse 30, and compare them with let them be silent in the churches in verse 34. The prohibition of women speaking covers thus all public church meetings. It is the publicity, not the formality of it, which is the point. And he tells us repeatedly that this is the universal law of the church. 
He does more than that. He tells us that it is the commandment of the Lord and emphasizes the word Lord in verse 37. The passage in 1 Timothy 2, 1 is just as strong, although it is more particularly directed to the specific case of public teaching or ruling in the church. The apostle had already in this context, verse 8, the men, in contrast with women of verse 9, pointedly confined public praying to men, and now continues, quote, Let a woman learn in silence in all subjection, but I do not permit a woman to teach, neither to rule over a man, but to be in silence, end quote. Neither the teaching nor the ruling function is permitted to woman. The apostle says here, I do not permit. Instead of, as in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 14.33, it is not permitted, because he is here giving his personal instructions to Timothy, his subordinate. While there, he was announcing to the Corinthians the general law of the church. What he instructs Timothy, however, is the general law of the church. And so he goes on and grounds his prohibition in a universal reason, which affects the entire race equally. In the face of these two absolutely plain and emphatic passages, what is said in 1 Corinthians 11.5 cannot be appealed to in mitigation or modification. Precisely what is meant in 1 Corinthians 11.5, nobody altogether knows. What is said there is that every woman praying or prophesying unveiled dishonors her head. It seems fair to infer that if she prays or prophesies veiled, she does not dishonor her head. And it seems fair still further to infer that she may properly pray or prophesy if only she does it veiled. We are piling up a chain of references, and they have not carried us very far. We cannot infer that it would be proper for her to pray or prophesy in church if only she were veiled. There is nothing said about church in the passage or in the context. The word church does not occur until the 16th verse, and then not as a ruling reference of the passage, but only as a supplying support for the injunction of the passage. There is no reason whatsoever for believing that praying or prophesying in church is meant. Neither was an exercising confined to the church. If, as in 1 Corinthians 14.14, the praying spoken of was a static exercise, as it is placed by prophesying may suggest, then there would be the divine inspiration superseding all ordinary laws to be reckoned with. And there has already been occasion to observe that prayer in public is forbidden to women in 1 Timothy 2.8.9. Unless mere attendance at prayer is meant, in which case the passage is a close parallel of 1 Timothy 2.9. What then must be noted is, In conclusion is, number one, that the prohibition of speaking in the church to women is precise, absolute, and all-inclusive, that they are to keep silent in the churches, and that means in all the public meetings for worship, they are not even to ask questions. Number two, that this prohibition is given a special point precisely for two matters of teaching and ruling elders, and three, that the grounds on which the prohibition is put are universal and turn on the difference in sex, and particularly on the relative places given to the sexes in creation and in the fundamental history of the race, the fall. See 1 Timothy 2, 13, 14. 
Perhaps it ought to be added in elucidation of the last point just made that the difference in conclusions between Paul and the feminist movement of today is rooted in the fundamental difference in their point of view relatively to the constitution of the human race. To Paul, the human race is made up of families, and every different organism, the church included, is composed of families united together by this or that bond. The relation of the sexes in the family follows it, therefore, into the church. To the feminist movement, the human race is made up of individuals. A woman is just another individual by the side of a man, and can see no reason for any differences in dealing with the two. And, indeed, if we can ignore the great fundamental natural differences of sex and destroy the great fundamental social unity of the family, in the interest of individualism, there does not seem any reason why we should not wipe out differences established by Paul between the sexes in the church except, of course, the authority of Paul. It all, in the end, comes back to the authority of the apostles as founders of the church. We may like what Paul says, or we may not like it. We may be willing to do what he commands, or we may not be willing to do it, but there is no room for doubt of what he says. And here certainly, and he certainly would say to us what he said to the Corinthians in verse 1436. What? Was it from you that the word of God went forth, or came it to you alone? Is this Christianity ours to do with as we like, or is it God's religion, receiving its laws from him through the apostles? Well, there you have it, folks. That is the very short reading of B.B. Warfield's Women Speaking in the Church. You know, he made a very good point at the end there. As with everything in the Bible, most things that we believe are relatively clear in Scripture. We believe in the perspicuity of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture. And so oftentimes we know what is right and what is wrong, and so we simply have to make the choice to either obey that or to disobey that. This is the same discussion now that we have in the church as they had back then, the great majority of women who have usurped the position of pastor, of teacher in the church, they very well know that what they're doing is against God's word. And so they've read the word of God and they've decided to ignore the word of God, just as B.B. Warfield has stated here. This podcast has been very brief, but I hope that the reading has blessed you. I hope it causes you to dive deep down into the scriptures and look for these answers yourself and confirm these answers. B.B. Warfield just has some really great material out there. You know, was concerned with the church uh, believing what Scripture says. And so we're also concerned for that same thing in our day and age, that we as the church believe, and well, not only believe, but that we go further than believing and we obey what the Scripture says. So, until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.